0: You're listening to WNHH Community Radio 103.5 FM in New Haven, Connecticut. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging deep into stories of food, race, radical love, and creative social justice. Spring is upon us, which means that the Easter and Passover holiday season are here. As a Jewish person myself, I participate in a Passover Seder ceremony and meal each year with my family, where, like many Jews around the world, we retell the story of the Jewish exodus from Egypt, from slavery into their lives and freedom. At the Seder table, we eat foods that represent the struggles of slavery and exodus, such as haroset, a mix of apples and spices that represents the mortar used to build the pyramids, salt water that represents the tears shed by Jews who were suffering, and probably the most famous Passover food, matzah which is an unleavened bread, sort of like a large cracker, that represents the dough cooked by the Jews while they were escaping from slavery, when they didn't have enough time to let the bread dough rise. The retelling of the Jewish story of slavery and liberation is very powerful, and I've often thought it would be a beautiful thing for many other peoples in the world to get to have a similar experience of acknowledging struggle and oppression as a people while also reflecting on freedom and the work still yet to be done. At our Seder table, this is not only an idea but a reality. One side of my husband's family is of African-American and Native American descent, and on the other side, Irish, so at our stater table, we have people of other lineages who have also suffered slavery, oppression, and genocide, as well as liberation. To talk about slavery and not acknowledge this reality, whether in my own family or just in the world, would be an injustice. A few years ago, I met and became dear friends with Leah Peniman and Jonah Vitali wolf of Soulfire Farm in upstate New York. You may have heard another interview I did with Leah and her sister on the heart of community building, and no doubt she'll be a reoccurring guest on the table underground as there are many overlaps in our work and passions. Jonah, her husband, is a Sephardic Jew of Italian and Middle Eastern descent, and Leah is Jewish and also of Haitian descent. Each year at Spring, they hold an Afro-Seder gathering, which is a coming together of Black Jewish people and their families to share their own liberation stories and draw from their multiple traditions those elements that are unifying and apply across all peoples. I welcomed Leah to talk about how the Afro-Seder came about and the importance of this ritual for those involved. Leah, welcome to The Table Underground.
1: Thanks for having me, Tegan.
0: Yeah, great to have you back. Can you tell me a little bit about your path towards choosing Judaism in your life?
1: Definitely. Well, I am a daughter of clergy and was raised in the Unitarian Universalist tradition with a deep love and respect for a multiplicity of ways of knowing the divine and a passion for it. Uh, I was almost ready to go to Harvard Divinity School when I went off to Ghana, West Africa to do some community building work, and at the time... I was dating who Jonah, who's now my my husband, a Jewish person, a Sephardic Middle Eastern Jew, and had been studying Judaism and was fascinated by the, really by the antiquity, like right? by the fact that we could say a prayer, we could light candles for Hanukkah, and that prayer had been said for thousands and thousands of years, which mm-hmm. is not the case with Unitarian Universalism. But I didn't really think of myself as a Jew. I thought of myself as a supportive ally and friend um, who would, Help maintain those rituals in our family to be, but when I traveled to Ghana, I had this this beautiful uh, path of spiritual discovery that included coming to understand that that many people in in West Africa and in fact all around the world uh, consider themselves Hebrews and have ancestral connections with the Jewish people. So particularly in the Odumasi Krobo region of Ghana, in the in the eastern part. The community had these practices that I recognized from my Jewish studies. They uh, they circumcised on the eighth day. They placed a headstone after a year. They honored a day of rest. And I was fascinated by this, and I hadn't read anything about Hebrewisms of West Africa, And so I really, really felt like I was the anthropologist. Like, this, <laughs> yeah,
0: you know? yeah, yeah.
1: It is well well known and well documented. Uh, and I ended up getting to know the the traditional priests and the queen mothers of the community and asking questions about this, and they just sort of nonchalantly were like, well, of course, yeah, we're cousins of the Jews, you know, we were all enslaved in Egypt, and some people went across the river and and formed Israel, and other people migrated west. We have these these common, um, you know, this common history. And there was a way then that choosing Judaism, that practicing Judaism didn't feel like adopting uh an alien, you know, European culture, but really in many ways was reconnecting to my ancestral roots because my my family, you know, many generations back is from that region, the Dahomey region of, of Ghana and Benin. Right. So I um when Joan and I decided to start a family and and marry one another, it felt it felt like a blessing and an honor and, and really exciting to to also become a Jew and really own that um, as as the daughter of my ancestors
0: and the mother of our Jewish children. Mm, That's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing. I think in America, European Jewry is what most people think of as Jews because there was a huge influx of immigrants from Eastern Europe... Um, especially right after World War II um, and right and during and right before World War II. So that's kind of the prominent thing people think about. But when you start looking at the diaspora, you realize that there are huge numbers of Jews from Spain, from Morocco, even from India, and then all over Africa, not only in Western Africa, but in Eastern and Southern Africa. And that the the 12 tribes, you know, went to all different corners of, of the earth. And uh, I think it's something that gets forgotten a lot in the American perception of what a Jew is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And because of that, we were intentional when our children were younger to make sure that their Jewish community was multiracial. You know, we chose a synagogue that has a number of, of children of different hues and from all around the world. And we're very involved with the Jewish Multiracial Network, which culminated in this annual family camp uh, for for mixed race Jewish families. Mm. So it was important for us. To make sure that they saw themselves as belonging, right. you know, to a, to a diverse international Jewish community.
0: Yeah, that's great. And so each year as part of the lunar cycle of holidays that are in the Jewish calendar that are very connected to the earth and very connected to the agriculture cycles, we come around each year to Passover and Jews around the world have a Seder. To remember the exodus from Egypt. And you hold an Afro Seder at your farm, at Soulfire Farm. And if you could tell me a little bit about what inspired you to create the Afro Seder ceremony as part of the Passover holiday.
1: Oh, absolutely. I love Passover, it is my favorite holiday. And from the very first Pesach that we celebrated together uh, as a family, we wanted to make sure that the liberation stories of all of our lineages were included. And so we created what became the the Drinking Gourd Black Jewish Community Liberation Seder. Then my dear friend uh, nicknamed it the Afro Seder, and that stuck because it's a little easier to say. But essentially, it's a a coming together of uh, Black Jewish people and Black spiritualists and those who love us to explore our our ancestral stories of liberation and healing through the motifs of the Seder. So we follow, you know, the 10 steps of the Seder. We go through Kadesh, Orchats, Karpas, and so on, all of these, uh, these touch points. But the central Magi, the central story that we're telling in this case is the Harriet Tubman story. Uh, Harriet Tubman is known as the Moses of Black people in the United States because she was the conductor of the Underground Railroad and went back and forth from the South to the North several times, leading enslaved people to freedom, starting with her own family and then extending out to her community. She was responsible for the freedom of hundreds of people. And of course, there are so many liberation stories you know, in, in the Black tradition alone that we could tell, but we've decided to tell and retell and retell the Harriet Tubman story because it has these universal motifs in the same way that the story of the exodus from Egypt has these universal motifs that that we can use uh, as guideposts as we think about liberation struggles today. So we talk about allyship, you know, the role of people who aren't black in our liberation, personal courage in the face of brutality, uh, communication with spirit because Harriet Tubman was very connected to God, and when and when she was unsure, she would pray and she would get information about which way to go, strategy, justice, you know, love of one's people. So we tell and retell this story so that it becomes part of who we are. And you know, for those who don't know, Passover oftentimes we just think of, you know, there's a seder plate or there's matzah, but but the central commandment that led to Passover is to tell our children their story. You know, specifically, we are obligated to, um, the the Bible says, you shall tell your child on that day saying it is because of what God did that I came out of Egypt, came out of slavery. And so
0: Mm -hmm.
1: the the griot or storytelling tradition is what is central in both of the, both the Jewish and the African way of, of knowing.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is something that has always struck me as such a powerful thing every year of my life, sitting at a Seder table and hearing the story of enslavement and liberation among people who no longer, for most of us um, in this country, suffer from that situation. But the retelling of that story and the memory of that and how that impacts, as a people, our perception of ourselves, of our lives, and of how we move in the world and work with other people and kind of a obligation to remember these things and work on these things so that it doesn't happen again. Um, sometimes it happens successfully and sometimes not so successfully, but uh, I think it's a very powerful thing to have that as part of a tradition. And yeah,
1: yeah, and I think that integration, one other thing I just love about Passover is it's really both political and spiritual, you know, that, that holiness is about having the capacity and the freedom to affect the world and make a choice to use our power for the mm. liberation of all people. And when I was I was trained um, as a member of clergy when I was in Ghana, I joined the Queen Mothers, and the role of the Queen Mothers in society is that it's both political and spiritual. So we have our festivals and our life cycle events, but it's not; those aren't an end unto itself. It's also crucial um, as people who are connected to the divine that we we use our power and and our spheres of influence, in the case of the Queen Mothers, to alleviate poverty, to take care of orphans, to advocate for, for policy that leads to you know economic sovereignty for people that's that those two things are held in a in a delicate and equal balance and and Passover is that for me mm. we absolutely get to you know do our rituals and sing our songs and then when we end we say justice justice shall we pursue like we're mm. going to take this and go forward into the world and and do the healing and repair of the world that's tikun olam that's necessary
0: right That's beautiful. Yeah. And I really see you doing that in the way that you work in the world, that you continually integrate both the spiritual component of the work and the healing component of the work, as well as the political action part of the work. And that that there's a lot of power in in bringing those two things to the table at the same time. That's beautiful. You know, you've illustrated that in the way that you've created the Afro-Seder ceremony, that you are kind of pairing the telling of the story of Harriet Tubman and the exodus of black people from slavery through the Underground Railroad with the story that is told of Moses leading the Jews out of Egypt and and that exodus. And I'm wondering if you could give some other examples in the Haggadah, in the book that is followed for the Afro-Seder, if you could give some examples of those synchronisms where you've kind of matched a piece of Jewish prayer, maybe such as the opening of the Seder, and then something from an African tradition that kind of serves a similar purpose as the opening prayer in the in the Jewish service.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I love syncretism. So most Jewish rituals or festivals open with the lighting of candles. We say a prayer, you know, blessed are you eternal one who sanctified our lives with our commandments and instructed us to kindle these lights. Baruch Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher B'Mitzvotav V'Tzivanu. They had like, ne'er, shel, yom, tov. And the idea of lighting the candles and saying that blessing is that it marks kadosh, the word for holiness, mm-hmm. and kodesh for separateness, that in the light dispelling the dark, we mark a gateway from the, the regular to the holy. And similarly, in African traditionalism, specifically in, in Haitian uh, voodoo, which is the tradition that I'm, I'm closest to in the moment, we have um, this spiritual gateway between the regular, the profane, the everyday, and the sacred. And the gatekeeper's name is Legba, Papa Legba. And so we have a song uh, that we sing and an offering that we make, a beacon that we create that marks that, that boundary. Um, and so in the Afro-Seder, we go from... The, the Hebrew prayer with the, the candle lighting, Baruch HaTanonai, into Legba Nambaya, Legba Nambaya. And we ask Legba to open the gate so that we can enter together into a, a spiritual way of being.
0: Mm. Can you sing the song for Legba?
1: Sure. Legba <laughs> <laughs> Nambaya, Legba Nambaya, Legba Nambaya. Sayu kiko te dwapo, sayu kapare
0: so lepuwayo. Aibobo, aibobo, Ai which is like amen in... Creole and then Amen right after it. So another way to bring those those beautiful things together. So another thing that I that I've noticed um, in both Judaism and in African diaspora traditions is the role that ancestors play in prayer and in worship. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about how that plays out through the Afro Seder, like in Judaism, where we pray about the founding ancestors of the Jewish people, about isaac and jacob and rebecca yeah. and sarah can you speak a little bit to that and how those play out in the two traditions
1: yeah absolutely so in the regular daily and weekly jewish services the central prayer or the amida is a prayer to the god of our ancestors Elohei avraham Elohei yitzhak so it's god of and then we name the ancestors and and this motif fits all throughout the jewish service there's one time in the Jewish liturgy in the year that we pray directly to our ancestors. And it's actually the flip side festival of, of Pesach, of Passover at Sukkot, at the end of the harvest season. And um, the, the prayer is called Ushpizin. And what I love about it is that it directly welcomes each of these original ancestors, I guess we could call them, into the Sukkah to be with us and to bless us. And a lot of scholars believe, and I certainly believe that you know, prior to the Westernization um, of Judaism, when it was more connected to its its earth roots, that this type of direct prayer to the ancestors was more common. And this one ushpizin is this one little morsel we have of of the way that um, Jewish people at one time directly connected to and even made offerings to their ancestors and to spirits of the earth. So all that to say, you know, I really do believe that our ancestors are with us; that they are. Conscious entities who can offer guidance and support who know us and love us better many times than than the people right around us And so in in the Afro-Seder we connect to that more ancestral ancient Judaism where we speak directly to our Ancestors and not just to the God of our ancestors So Mm -hmm. when we bless God for creating wine creating the fruit of the vine We are also calling out and inviting our ancestors by name Isaac Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, um, but also Harriet Tubman and and Miriam and all of our Black ancestors who lost their lives in the Middle Passage and in the years of enslavement and convict leasing and and throughout all of our history of police brutality and mass incarceration. We call them, we welcome them to sit with us at the the Seder table.
0: Mm. How do you feel like that kind of direct prayer to ancestors impacts people who are living today? And and what is the importance of that?
1: I think that, you know, it's something in my heart and not so much in my head. I guess it's not so much I think that I really witness that when people are able to welcome their ancestors into their heart and and earth into their heart, that there's a deeper sense of belonging to self and Mm -hmm. belonging here where we are. Uh, The concept of Yahweh of the the ultimate God, Bondier, you know, so many names, is essential and I really believe that there isn't a, a division between creator and creation, that it is all a oneness of spirit, but that these elements of the creator, like just like we have so many names of God in Judaism, we have Arisha, we have Luah in Yoruba and in Haitian Vodou, we have these names or aspects of God, that at times we really need the intimacy that comes with with that one spark mm-hmm. that the wholeness that trying to just interface with the wholeness can be so big in comparison to our small consciousness that we can be left lonely mm. um, and feeling like we don't belong, that we're inadequate or we don't understand. And sometimes we just need our great, great grandma or we just need the wind or the rain. And that is a touch point that we can, we can grasp that gives us our wholeness. You know and i believe you know ultimately in the messianic era we all the boundaries of self dissolve and we all are yahweh we all are one but we're not we're not there yet and so <laughs> i think to be able to like name a specific ancestor or lineage gives us a sense um that we are from somewhere that we are going somewhere
0: yeah that's really powerful um I'm wondering if you could speak a little bit to your experience as a black Jew and what that's like for you living in America. Um.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny. So without calling anyone out yesterday, I literally got an email from an organization that wanted a a Jewish speaker to talk about black racism. And they were like, well, you know, We really would need Jonah to come because the funding is for a Jewish organization, a Jewish speaker, and, you know, just the assumption all the time that I couldn't possibly be Jewish, and it it can be hard for me not to be like, my Hebrew is probably better than yours. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But I mean, it's it's pretty constant, the assumption of not belonging as a brown-skinned Jew. I know that when I'm in New York City and I say Shabbat Shalom to Hasid, they uh, pretend they don't see me or walk away. Um, Yeah.
0: They do that yeah. to me too, which I think is also because I'm a woman saying it to a man, but yeah. but not that it's the same, but <laughs> 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 I'm white and Jewish and, and I get the same kind of aversion of the eyes, but but yeah, I'm sure it's much worse for you.
1: Yeah, no, women too. It's like So I think that, you know, not to only focus on the negative, it certainly is, I'm, I'm very proud to be. Jewish and I found a lot of communities where I do belong I think the hardship comes more in the, the initial stranger interaction and then once I've explained to myself then people of course are very excited to um, to connect yeah, um, but, I, but we're, that's we're very blessed to have a yeah. diverse congregation um, multiracial congregation and a queer positive congregation to belong to and I think without that it would be very difficult to hold on um, you know being a Jew amongst Hebrew identified West Africans was deeply fulfilling. And there's many ways that I've tried to push that into white American Jewry. I would have Kiddush Levana, which is like a new moon ceremony and try to do our Sukkot really old school with praying to the ancestors. And, and that feels exotic and novel to people. And, <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: So to some extent, that's okay, but it's also nice to be in spaces where I don't have to to lead.
0: Right. Yeah, it's exhausting. I mean, I hear that I hear that you've found like lots of wonderful ways to make this work in your family and in your community. But the amount of effort that's needed and kind of fortification of yourself in the process sounds exhausting.
1: Yes, that is true.
0: So we're on the table underground and I know you love food and you're a farmer and I love food. So before you go, I need to ask you just a little bit about food at the Afro Seder and what what kinds of foods are part of the Afro Seder.
1: Well, of course, we have the matzah because the matza is the unleavened bread and is part of the requirement for the ritual. It represents the imagined haste that our ancestors had in needing to escape enslavement really quickly and get away not having time for bread to rise. Um, It's called sometimes the bread of affliction. And in the the middle part of the ceremony, we break it in two to symbolize the incompleteness of the world and the need for repair. And then later on in the meal, we reunite the pieces, which is our hope uh, for the end of of human suffering and the suffering of our um, non-human sisters and brothers. So we have that piece of of food, for sure. And then there's a, there's a huge, huge, huge meal, delicious meal um, at the end of the storytelling. And what I invite people to do for that, it's a, it's a potluck dinner, It's to just bring the foods from their tradition. Um, and it's mostly, you know, African heritage, Black folks and their families there. And so we have an amazing spread of all kinds of Haitian food. We have our Acra pois and our soup jumu, which is a liberation soup. And no, people just just turn up, and I
0: love <laughs> it's mm-hmm. also my favorite meal. Mm hmm. That's beautiful. And the akara is, is similar to the akara in West Africa. Is a, it's sort of like a black-eyed pea falafel, <laughs> for uh, for yes. people who don't know what it is. And um, in Yoruba land, the akara is used as an offering to the ancestors. So I always love that connection as well. I don't know. In in Vodun, is it in Haiti? Is it used that way as well?
1: It is used that way. Yes, yeah. it is an offering to um, to Aïsan, actually, who's the Arisha of the priesthood itself. Mm. I guess the dish that I most enjoy making is the soup jumu, mm-hmm. which is a Haitian pumpkin soup, and it's the soup that traditionally we have on the new year, which is also the Independence Day for Haiti. Um, for folks who don't know, Haiti was the first independent black republic and the first nation to outlaw slavery in the world after overthrowing Napoleon's army uh, successfully in 1804 and prior to that uh, Black folks in Haiti were not allowed to eat the Jumu, which is the, the delicacy. It's a beautiful tasty rich pumpkin uh, That was reserved for the owning class. Wow. And so the legend goes that in celebration of freedom uh, the formerly enslaved people just made pots and pots and pots of this soup jumu and went around to each other's houses, tasting it and eating it and um, inventing new recipes. And this tradition is is honored and repeated every new year where everyone makes soup jumu and you travel from house to house and taste it. So mm. this is the liberation soup and Pesach is the liberation festival. And so that feels like a, a very appropriate dish to make us the the centerpiece of the table yes
0: absolutely maybe i can get that recipe from you and we could put it up on the tableunderground.com website and inspire some people to make another kind of liberation food for their seder
1: that would be great i'm happy to share
0: wonderful thank you so much leah for joining me and talking about your afro-seder tradition
1: thank you for having me it was a lot of fun
0: you can find the recipe for soup Jumu or liberation soup as well as a number of other passover recipes at thetableunderground.com i also included a new recipe for pavlova which is a sweet crisp pile of meringue topped with pink grapefruit curd and cherries it's a special version i just invented this year meringue was one of my favorite things to make as a kid it was one of the first things i ever learned how to cook and I usually make it almost every year for Passover. This version is definitely one of my favorites, and I realized that one of the reasons I love this dessert at the end of such a serious meal is that the lightness and sweetness of it is also representative of the gifts of freedom that can come from liberation. There are also links to a number of other fabulous recipes, including a Sephardic dried fruit version of horoset, the mortar I mentioned earlier, as well as many other holiday desserts and dishes. These are all fabulous recipes, and you certainly don't have to be Jewish or even celebrating Passover to enjoy them. For the second segment of today's show, we'll hear an interview and a song from Why Love, a talented rapper who's Black, Latino, Jewish, and gay. You can check out the videos that go with the words on our website at thetableunderground.com.
2: It's on when the scripture clicks Beyond what the Kiddush is Mitzvahs for the business New school religious kicking Vision in the ticking Cause the riches be the wisdom Exchange the low position for the rhythm with a mission Internalize eternal fire Protect from dereliction Distant cognition With transcendent benedictions Go and take more than billboard To chart me Divine fighter detector, To to check what a sparks be Forecast black hat No chance of reforming Coming live on your wire This is not a recording Good morning coffee Smell it New style embellished With no beef All kosher Cut the mustard with relish Olam Echad Olam Echad, Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad. This is unity. Olam Echad, Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad. This is unity. Olam Echad, Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad. This is unity. Olam Echad. Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad. This is unity. What? When I say revolution, you say excuses. Why I love the new scene? The old scheme is useless. Divine sun infused these. No seas with fluid. Shows we prove it. You know we do this. For the last time, I'm trying to change minds. Check why the best rhymes. Sent across electrons. Benjamin like Fendi. I got paste. They screwed Intersect the intellect. Forget it if I said it wrong. Militant mystic under rabbinic authority. It was under supervision when I entered the party. The task is elevation. No time for division. Unify the creation, redefine the mission Open up your third eye every time you listen When you bounce, you move closer to the new definition They said they understood me, but I know that they didn't Cause if they did, they would know this is not just religion Olam Echad, Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad This is unity Olam Echad, Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad This is unity Olam Echad, Hashem Echad, Ha'am Echad This is unity Ulam ekhad, Hashem ekhad, ha'am ekhad. This is unity what? Hashem began routine like machinery Half these years living in immediate chicanery It's plain to see no man-made thing changing me Corruption in the function I'm gonna bring the hate blatantly what? Basically, revolution, time to drop the handy cam. Known to bless the blessed cipher till we light it up like Amsterdam. Six one three for life, scream until Messiah comes. We pass spam we trying to make the people one. Feel the eight spots on the pivotal moment, connected to the Most High. How we letting them control us? Believing the people, manifesting the skills with knowledge, understanding, wisdom, and will. Develop the heavenly kesh, out of the tether with the shackets. be the connector, bring it together, bring Shemayim and the Eretz. Say we in the house, we trying to pray in the field. why loving D1, put the club on tilt. Olam Hashem אחד HaAm אחד This is unity Olam Echad Hashem אחד HaAm אחד This is unity One Olam Echad Hashem echad HaAm אחד This is unity Olam Echad Hashem Echad HaAm אחד This is unity There's no such thing as a blanket statement which will cover all rappers equally Whatever you've got to do to get the Torah into here and into there is automatically kosher. I was raised in Baltimore by my mother who raised me by herself on less than $20,000 a year. If you work hard, you will succeed. That was never an axiom in my life because I got to see hundreds of people working hard every day throughout their lives and were getting nowhere. When I would come to Judaism in high school, I would come to left wing politics really soon after that. It was learning these two, I guess, ideological systems in tandem, and I started to see parallels between the two that would start to form a worldview that I wouldn't be able to give up once I moved to New York and moved into the Orthodox community. Why love is not going to be. A rapper that's gonna be rhyming about bling i'm never gonna be rhyming about the girls i got in the back of the van i'm never gonna be rhyming about the rocks that i'm slinging on a corner somewhere hip-hop for me never was that and can't be that it's just not in my reality this is all about love this is all about unity hip-hop always was a mode of spiritual expression for me and is always going to be a mode of spiritual expression for me when i would give classes in yeshiva one guy who did computer graphics, he made a PowerPoint presentation of Donald Duck building a sukkah. And another guy who did graffiti art and mural art, I was trying to get him to draw the things that he was learning and to put it more into a visual art form so that he could learn better. A kid who was about nine years old just completed learning the track date sukkah in the Talmud and he wrote a rhyme to it. That was the way he did his review. and. In a three-minute song, he goes through about 10 or 15 chapters of Halakha. When the rabbi from B'nai Barak came out against hip-hop and said that hip-hop music is disgusting and has no place in the Jewish community, I'd like to know what type of holy European melodies that he's listening to because the reality is that which is called Jewish music today, a lot of it is when you're listening to the holy Hasidic melodies of the old country, all you're actually hearing is the top 10 pop hits of 1804. So to say that this is automatically more authentically Jewish simply because it originated in Eastern Europe, I don't know how else to take that but racism. Hip-hop is the way that I express myself spiritually. So how can you tell me that this is not going to benefit me spiritually, this this has no place in the Jewish community, this is my Judaism that I'm expressing over here think is gonna rain, perpetual destruction comes eventually we be trying to rise for festivals, nation that originated here on these streets Inspiration that's contained in this mp3 Bring The opposite of apocalypse, the positive of rising soul Directed towards the top, with quotes from the prophets Words on the scroll and the remainder of the temple Yeah, the 34th meridian stays central This is unity, I said this is unity, this is unity, that's what's up
0: Thanks for listening to today's show. You can check us out online, on iTunes, or any other podcasting site. And thanks for listening to WNHH Community Radio 103.5 FM in New Haven, Connecticut.